Hello and welcome to episode 12 of The Coriolis Effect, Stockholm Calling. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And here we are in the Bishop's Arms pub in Gamlastan, in the old town of Stockholm, where we spent the last 36 hours interviewing and spending time with guys from the Freeligan and from Ringen. I ought to say, we, we didn't spend all 24 hours in the pub. We have We have interviewed them in various locations, but it was... This time last night that we were here with Freer Ligon and uh, they were buying us dinner. They were the most generous bunch of lovely guys uh, I've met in a very long time. So I want to just say a really big thank you to uh, Nils Carleen, uh, Costa Constulas and Ricard Antroya who joined us yesterday. And of course to uh, Matthias Lilia and Martin Grip from Yen Ringen who took us out for lunch today and then had another hour and a bit with us talking uh, talking lots of really interesting stuff. One more shout out of thanks to Matthias Johnson from Jern Ringen who couldn't make it with us uh, today but who was instrumental in making sure that our meeting with Jern Ringen actually happened. So many thanks to all of you. Um, it's been a great couple of days and we've learned lots and lots of stuff. We've got so much stuff. So we've got... Um hours of recorded material that we need to edit but we've already got a pretty good idea what's going to be in the first episode haven't we Dave? We have because one of the great things that's come out of meeting both groups today and yesterday has been hearing the whole story of Coriolis right back from its inception and early days uh, as a Yen Ringen game up through to the point where Freer Ligan were fanboys were freelancers to the point where they then took the game on themselves and moving on now to, to the current day and looking forward to the future. So today's episode is going to be looking very much at the interview bits that we've had talking about the story of Coriolis. We should have called it Genesis of Coriolis. <laughs> we should. So why didn't we? We called it Stockholm Calling instead. I know, that was your idea, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a good idea. It's, it's a, a very good idea. idea. It's nowhere near as good as Genesis of Coriolis. No, it isn't. It's better than Genesis <laughs> of Coriolis. <laughs> anyway, let's not argue. Uh, we have spent three days together... And I was quite tired. And, and that's to, why we were arguing. I had to share a room last night and Matthew snores like a monster. But apart from that... It's we'll been cut a that bit trip. out in the edit. <laughs> Possibly not. But, so, um, we will have lots of other stuff to talk about that came out of the, the discussions we had with both Free Ligan and Yen Ringen, which we will be posting out in uh, additional podcast episodes over the next two or three weeks, once we've had a chance to look through it and... Uh, listen to it. Listen and, to it properly and edit and it down into a good good format. Yeah. So um, before we go on, uh, well, I, I should say, so I think for the next few episodes, the format's going to be a little bit different from, from what you've expected from us. I think we'll be concentrating mostly on the interview recordings, topping and tailing them a bit, as we are today. But before we do that, let's let's do something we always traditionally do at the, uh, the top of every show, and that is talk about news from the wider world of gaming although it's not a particularly wider world this time is it Dave? No it's not because the one thing I really wanted to mention and talk about was Simbaroom and the ongoing Simbaroom Kickstarter for the Monster Codex which as of recording has five days left if we get this podcast out over the weekend as we hope to there'll be three days left so I'd really want to encourage everybody who hasn't had a look at that to go and have a look and Let's get a last final push to make sure that all the stretch goals and the bits, the, the pledges that they, the guys need, um, you know, we get through all of those and get everything that they want. 
Now, of course, I'm a player and not a GM, so I'm letting you invest in this. What are the stretch goals that you're particularly keen on hitting in the final days of the campaign, David? Well, the you know, the codex itself is um, not only a, uh, a a monster manual, for want of a better way, but it's it's much, much more than that. It's looking into a, a range of things that, um, as Matthias Lilia was telling us today, and you'll hear at some point in the podcast, uh, is really fleshing out the, the the backstory and the sort of the credentials of of the creatures that are in Simbaroom, right? Not just to add more hit points to something and make it more dangerous, as as, as Matthias himself said, but also they're looking at um, a few other things as well, such as um, balance resistance tables, which uh, I'm not entirely sure what that exactly means, but that's going to be really interesting to see see what that looks like. Also, potentially another playable race. Yeah. Which um, I, I know Matthew's very excited about. I'm not so excited about. Uh, it, but lots lots of uh, our listeners may be excited about this uh, playable race, uh, particularly if you were playing in the early days of uh, RuneQuest, Rune or indeed if you were playing in Sweden at all, because I think the Swedes took this particular race to their hearts when uh, RuneQuest in the US uh, was translated into Swedish and became the first Swedish role-playing game uh, Drakkar Ochdemoner. Yeah, that forgive my incredibly bad Swedish uh, pronunciation <laughs> there. Um, and that race was one that was that came over with with the with other bits of RuneQuest. Um, and in the new Monster Codex, I see they're called the Andrik. Andrisk. 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 I think it is. Yeah. And there's no S out there. Uh, oh, Andrik. Oh, I thought it was Andrisk. Okay. My, anyway, my mistake. I'm guessing Andrik is a kind of Swedish compound word of man and and uh, Drick or Drake Duck. Yep, these are uh, bipedal, uh, uh, wingless, but, well... Or, are they wingless? Well, they've got wings, but they use them like hands, like uh, Donald Duck does, I think. So. Okay, well, I think we don't want to call them Donald Duck, do we? Right. Um, I, mean, I, I know very little about these. I, I don't uh, I don't have a memory of them from back in old RuneQuest days. But the, the, the one picture I've seen, written, uh, drawn by, by Martin, uh, is of um, a duck... In a uh, in a cloak, looking really menacing, and uh, you know the, the 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 skill to go into that to make it look really menacing is fabulous. It's a great picture, as with just about every Simbaroon picture I've ever seen. They're all really good, and it's really the kind of guy that you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley, uh, you know, late at night in Thistlehold or or Granitehold, my location in in my campaign for Simbaroon. We learned from Martin and from Matthias, in fact, that this. A painting had been done as an April Fool's joke initially, yes. but due to the support and demand, I think, particularly from Swedish gamers, it's now a stretch goal, and I think it's the next stretch goal to be uh, knocked down, isn't it? It is, and I think they're pretty close to it. The te- only tens of thousands of kroner away, which uh, is, you know, it's one, it's one pound to ten kroner, very roughly. So yeah, they're pretty close. So come on, everyone, have a look at it and see what. Um, you know, see if you want to back it in. If you're tempted, go ahead and back it. That would be really good. And if they hit a million Swedish kroner, what lay, what's what's the final stretch goal? Well, they get the Simbaroom roll-up dice tray, which you're much more familiar with than I am, Matthew. You seem really excited by this. I mean, I've never used one, but I think, you know, for my nice kitchen table back at home, rolling lots of dice on it does seem to take the varnish off yeah. so maybe uh, maybe that'll be a good thing tell us tell us yeah. about it so all rolled up is a british company who are absolutely lovely people um david you'll be aware of the dice bag that i bring to 
our games. It's uh, sort of a bit like a, a chef's knife kit or uh, one of the, uh, the roll-up bags you sometimes see carpenters carrying their tools in. But it's got a, a compartment for dice, a, department, a compartment for a pack of cards and uh, uh, pockets for pencils and things like that. Uh, mine is a very... It's an advanced gi- pencil case, is that what you're saying? No, it's an advanced di- <laughs> dice bag. It's an all rolled up dice bag. But uh, they've also branched out into dice trays. And funnily enough, uh, when we go to Dragon Meat, hashtag podcast zone, hashtag yep. Dragon Meat 2017, yep. I should say. It's a month away for us. <laughs> a month away. When we're going to Dragon Meat, I'd already resolved that I was going to buy from All Rolled Up. They're normally there at the store. I was going to buy a couple of dice trays, which are a lovely design. It's a very simple design that it itself can be rolled up. As, as per the company name title, but it has pop studs in each corner, and so if you press those pop studs together, you form a corner, and the flat fabric becomes a very workable dice tray. Um, I noticed that they're quite popular, uh, a company with a, a lot of Kickstarters. Numenera has had them make a custom Numenera one for their Numenera 2 Kickstarter, and I can see that the guys at... Uh, Jan Ringen are doing the same and, and their final stretch goal currently would be a an all rolled up dice tray featuring some of the lovely artwork from Martin Grip. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um, go and have a look at it guys and uh, back it if you're in any way tempted. Let's make it let's make it happen all the way to the end. But let's get into that interview now, well, shall let, we? Let's do that. But first off, I just want to say we are gonna be looking uh, here at um, as I said, the history of Coriolis. Um, but the next episode is going to be focused much more uh, on Simba Room. And we had a really good discussion today. It's a game that I'm really getting into and really enjoying uh, getting into. And we had a really good discussion with Mateus and Martin about that. So the next episode, um, for those of you who are interested in Simba Room, is going to be a Coriolis effect special, the Simba Room effect. But yes, now let's get on with the interviews, Matthew, and listen and hear all about the history of Coriolis. Today is a gloriously sunny day here in Gamastan in Stockholm and even more glorious because we are sat in a nice cafe with uh, two of the uh, people from Yenringen, which I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that just about right. Really good. Uh, we have uh, Matthias Lilia, welcome. Thank you. And Martin Grip, yeah. welcome, Hello. welcome gentlemen. Thank you very much indeed for finding the time to to talk to us. Um, really excited to meet you guys. Um, as, as everybody will know, we, we are enormous fans of the current version of Coriolis and are just beginning to understand the history and your involvement in making, uh, making the game come alive and, and getting it to where it is today. We started uh, what eventually became Coriolis. Mm. Yeah. Okay, let's ask you about that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, it should be interesting to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For a lot of our listeners, uh, Coriolis is what it's all about. And, and one of the... One of the things about Coriolis is its non-European white cultural setting. Yeah. Was that there from the very beginning of Coriolis? Uh, I don't really remember how it started. We, we just sort of, we had a lot of the sort of fragments floating around in the beginning, I think, with sort of cool stuff that we wanted to do. And I think just how that came about, that we had this sort of oriental or whatever you mm. call it. Uh, that kind of thing was not... I don't know how that came, came about, actually. It's just... 
I think it was mainly. It was not like conscious, like we have to do a non sort of Eurocentric whatever. It was not that conscious. It was just. No. I think it was mostly. But it came we light that atmosphere. We do, yeah. and, and I think it came out of your early um, sketches. concepts yeah. and sketches. Yeah. Was one, and you, and and then it came out of. I started using the analogy of the space uh, space as an, as a desert. Yeah. Uh, and and indeed, like like space station and planets, like 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 oasis, oasis. Yeah. that where you can go between the total yeah. barrenness and come into like light, warmth, where you yeah. have water and safety and all that. So that sort of became the analogy of how we. Imagine the game like space is a really really lonely place. So to so get that more better grasp of it, I think we started using the desert and oasis. Was that the concept and, and, of the dark between the stars? Yeah, um, yeah. Came out of that. Yeah, that exactly. Thinking. Yeah. And then we 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 both and several others in Jenning as well spent time in 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 Spain and seen the uh, the, the old mix between the, the, the Moorish and the uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. sort of the Architecture Moors. and all that, where they, with the Moors, where they, where they mix sort of Christian and, 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 and Islamic styles, and most, most almost an eclectic, often mm. built by, by Jews. So it was sort of a, <laughs> it was sort of a really a lot of religions and cultures just coming together in a really, fairly unique uh, aspect of that. So that's where a lot of the, I think patterns in clothing and yeah, I think architecture, it started like very, very sort of um, not very conscious, like just finding cool visual styles yeah, you know? so yeah. i think it started there and yeah. then they said oh this looks kind of cool and then we just started to think around that yeah. a bit more than we started some from some kind of intellectual sort of it was more like yeah. okay this looks kind of cool can we okay can we expand yeah and I, I knew what i wanted the game to do yeah uh and that this style fit it perfectly because i wanted to be a sort of the the clash between cultures sometimes peaceful sometimes not so much and how mm. how you can't how, how your enemy in some cases will define you as you will <laughs> you will like some you will, you will take stuff from them uh to incorporate in the way you look speak think talk uh, as you fight them yeah like the reconquest of spain um where where, where, where old knowledge you know aristotle came back to to europe by way of fighting the moors in spain and all that. <laughs> so you, yeah. you know sort of ideas and things shifting even if there's violence there's also a bit of sharing yeah. So yeah. that was sort of part of how I wanted this to Ooh. play out, and this yeah. became a really good sort of yeah. to focus into how how to tell that type of story, or maybe not story, but setting. Yeah. Um, so there are other elements that I have to ask about. So yeah. when you say what you wanted, uh, there's a there's a there's a horror element to it as yep. well, isn't there? Yeah. So how was that there from the outset, or is that yes. something that developed just you started? No. Yeah. We. Kind of one of that space horror kind of thing. I think it was some some kind of I don't know. We always loved the the first Alien movie. That kind of mystery yeah. combined with horror, I think, was very much what yeah. we wanted to do. You know that when they actually find that first pilot kind of thing in the yeah. first Alien movie. And that. But it's also the Event Horizon movie, uh, which is more Lovecraftian, where like yeah. the ship is swallowed, sort of almost into a parallel. Really dark place, hell. yeah, into hell, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and so that that's sort of the cosmic horror that the world doesn't give a shit about you, yeah. <laughs> kind of realization. Very lonely, but all, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But also the more like physical, which in Coriolis is that if you if you end up in if you're in stasis doing a jump and there's some fault in that mechanism, you suddenly see what's between, mm-hmm. uh, and and you don't go, you're not you're now you're not the same when you get back in no. the sort of mental, but also 
sometimes like physical sense. Yeah. yeah. Some of that has traced over, I think, if you look closely at, at uh, Simbarum, if you want to look at that, mm. where we also have a lot of, a lot of physical horror, where things yes. change you very uh, obviously if you, if, you yeah. dab, if you dabble in certain things. So that, that's probably something that I is tickled by. <laughs> no, we came. It started out in, in, in Coriolis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But here it was a bit like dark between the stars. You see things you're not supposed to. Uh, you are changed. Uh, by you are changed by that yeah. in a very sort of essential way. And we also gave that the the small sort of the small thing you could get out of it is you could become a psychic. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but you're not a very powerful psychic. <laughs> <laughs> but you have something that others lack due to this exposure to the, to the darkness mm. so that was part of it and the, i don't i don't know if it was that clearly stated early on but we knew we wanted that element in there um, i think we, I, yeah, and also that, that kind of mystery element to that yeah, because yeah. it was only like hard sci-fi or something we wanted that kind of dimension of mystery maybe not magical but still like a mystery mystical. to it yeah. Myster, yeah. it's a mystical element to the world yeah. uh, i think the, the occult yeah. kind of feel to it uh, I, I thought we were sort of attracted to it. Yeah, and I also think that it goes back to the way we we want we want to do stuff about people, and the reason we use a different setting is because we can put people in weird situations that can tell things about. We're not really, at least me, I'm not. I'm more interested in the culture of technology than I am in technology. If mm. that makes yeah. sense. Yes. And in fact, people—that was the other thing I wanted to ask. There are no alien intelligences. There are no knobbly-headed other races to, to interact with. No. I mean, there are there are monsters, there are things yeah. that are yeah. alien, are but genetic. it's a very human-centric yeah. Yeah. culture. Yeah. Um, what, what were your thoughts behind that? I think it's come... I mean, we've never been very good at... I mean, when we played role-playing games way back, we never really sort of played different kinds. So, I mean, we played ducks <laughs> and hobbits. <laughs> no, I mean, so you always play ducks. We've been attracted yeah, yeah. So, so much to these kind of zoomorph games i think yeah. yeah so i don't know and so it comes to us naturally when we sort of start making games that we don't have that much and we're more mm-hmm. uh, as what they said that we're more interested in in people I think, yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. cultures more than than sort of this weird kind of I, I also think that we when we play role games when we did back when we i've always if i've had an adventure where the main bad guy is a ilfid or like a weird creature from I change it to a human mm. because I want evil to be human in origin. Yeah, they can be allied with whatever else that makes them dangerous or weird or crazy, like in Call of Cthulhu. That's fine, but you need a cultist <laughs> who has a belief or a weird idea or wants to do something, and they should, in my book, be human because it's more interesting to yeah think about that rather than if you into something if you def- yes yeah. and also if you mm-hmm. define something, this is a demon, they're by nature evil, and thus they're going to do evil now. Yeah, like, yeah, okay, fine, but you know if, they're going to do evil. Inevitably yeah, because we define them like that. Right? It's, like yeah. sort of, it's sort of like a circular argument. In a yeah. sense. Like, and I don't mind demons as long as a, a person called them here to do some something that they wanted and things went terribly wrong. Yeah. That's fine because then you have a human agent yeah. in it. And it brings up a lot of different stories, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, mo- the motivation might have been all positive for that, but actually it turned into something really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, so exactly. And it's so you're a bad guy isn't actually a totally bad guy doesn't have to be it's yeah. more like people playing with powers they don't understand they're being driven by passions and they do crazy things and like afterwards they're like oh, okay maybe it wasn't the best idea <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah, stuff like, when some village has been <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. So, so it's always been more like, you, i don't think in a sense you need 
humans are interesting and you, you also mm. don't really need more than a human as an agent then you can have other forces uh, around them to make it interesting or, or show the consequence or, or you know yeah I said again, you need the mystery so it can't just be people and and like nah. if you have if, if it's only down to like physics and and and, and the bad childhood experiences that'd be kind of boring right you need a couple <laughs> of demons in there too yeah. right yeah, so. yeah. I mean the last element I wanted to ask about which yeah. is one of the things I really love about Coriolis and doesn't feature enough in other games I feel is religion yeah. and the right. idea right. I mean in, obviously I've not played your version of Coriolis but I really love the push dynamic in the Free League version yeah. you, you make that prayer yeah. uh, and you, you are you get for want of a better word divine intervention yeah um, so was that as strong were there religion mechanics in, in, in your uh, version yes I, it was that was one of the pillars basically that we ba- built the game on it was it was based on the idea that atheism is the is the weird thing not the belief yeah yeah, yeah. atheism is weird belief is not that's the faith in Coriolis yeah, it? Faith. yeah so people are people are to the icons being there yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and so we wanted it to be a thing where people were religious and also just by small tweaks, I, we tried to. I think the free league is making is doing better. But we started it, which was, I want the power gamer and the immersive gamer to do the same thing. Mm. You that. want the plus yes. one by going to the you go to the chapel and you pray. Yeah. You get the plus one. It's cool, and you're also slightly better. So the guy who who, who counts the odds will also be there. Yeah. And so yeah. that's how I wanted to like. It shouldn't divert. You shouldn't have two. It shouldn't be. Either I play for immersion or I play for the rules. Like, it doesn't matter. You're gonna end up doing roughly the same thing yeah. anyway. Yeah, which that's is sort of how I, I how I like. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think that's how how it came about in the rules. Right, you could go and pray and get a plus one. Yeah, and it was like, I, I, when we, we, we play tested it, and our our, our, our in house min max. Guy, yeah. he just he just spent a lot of time in, 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 in the temple. temple. <laughs> 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 and I'm like, I know I want to something Find, now. Finding a priest. Yeah, so I want yeah, something yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. He, usually he just first, brings his double axe, but now he actually yeah, went and, praying. And when they got the first <laughs> axe, and, when, yeah. and yeah. when they got the first ship, one of the first modules they bought was the a chapel. chapel. Yeah. <laughs> so you want that, right? yeah. and then yeah. all the guys who like the immersion, they were already arguing for a chapel because they were religious because it said so on the paper on the on the ship. Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of how we how we tackle that. Yeah, William, do you, do you feel it's sort of like the legacy yeah. now that you know obviously Coriolis is, is now uh, you know free legans uh, yep. game? Yep. Do you do you feel that the legacy of the game of what you've done has been well handled? I mean, you said quite a few things here about how you think they've improved the game, so I so I, I get the feeling that you're sort of pleased with the way they've taken your baby. I I do like the way they 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 tackle the games. Uh, they're very much of a um, can play the game out of the box yeah. in a sense that uh, I think it's very sort of conducive to play with, with especially if you have people short of time or they're new in the genre. I, I that's I think they do a lot of excellent stuff there in mm. most, if not all, of their games. They're better than that than us. It's not we also don't have that as a goal. We're more of a sometimes niche within a niche. <laughs> but I like how they do that. I also think they in Coriolis particular they have expanded very consciously on some areas and, and scoped back on others and I think it's it's a, in my book it's a better game than the one we made mm. uh, rules wise uh, particularly so, so yeah it's, I think it's really cool yeah cool I, I, I've got to ask now though yeah um, 
what what was the basic mechanic of uh, Coriolis when you were writing it? Because obviously they've taken their their Year Zero engine. Yeah, they're calling it that. Uh, the uh, basic was a you you roll two d tens. You add your skill level. Uh, you either beat your opponent's roll or a static roll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you could you could also we had a system where you could get a partial success and a full success. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you could, or, and how did you the, how did you manage the praying to the icons? It um, usually added a, a, uh, a like a bonus to what, whatever you were doing. Right. Uh, within so if you went to depending what icon you choose you, you got a bonus to a certain type of role because yeah. they couldn't cover anything and you need to you need to either have a, a, a priest or a, a, a chapel to do it yeah. unless you were you, you could have it was like a, you could have perks and you could have a perk where you had sort of a truer faith yourself and you could you could pray mm. standing anywhere uh, you okay. were sort of dedicated yeah. you were more of a mystic or, or more, maybe also a fanatic but anyway uh, <laughs> that could so you were basically doing that yourself right um and just another thing you said you yeah. know we, we, we've segued into Freya Lagan's version and discussing that yeah. but why did you let the baby go I figured what, what a lot of different reasons right yeah mm-hmm. there were practical reasons we came to uh we ran out of steam the first uh, yearning iteration mm. people started to look at well, careers and families. A lot of yeah. a lot of us had kids at that around that time. So time kids became detracted. No, but uh, um, so, so people had to reevaluate their how they spent their time, and and uh, there was also a difference in how people saw sort of the business side of things, whether it should stay as a hobby or with a lot of time investment, or if we, if we should see an upside on this. By then we did. I mean, we did everything sort of on the side, right? right. So it took a lot of time because you had your main job and then you job. had a sort of a, so it, this side job that took a lot of time, and yeah. then that became a problem. And that so, point where you start having to pay tax and, and yeah, yeah, and I mean bookkeeping rather than just writing games. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a lot like that. It was. Like Martin said, it was uh, several factors, but it came down to: do we do we keep doing this, uh, or or um, do we want to make sure that we can stay as a hobby or, or basically go commercial? And also the the so it basically came to a point where we said we're gonna we're gonna stop all of this uh, and see who wants to continue it. Um, but we basically stopped packed packed in the whole, whole organization and. and and by then, the Freya was already on board doing like licensed stuff for Coriolis yeah. for us. So we just said, "You just keep going. We don't. You don't have to. We're not going to keep going, but you should." Yeah. And they yeah. did. Yeah. Well, that was really interesting. Uh, what What I was particularly interested in in hearing was the way that Matthias talked about his design philosophies going into the game about yeah. how he wanted it to be a game, not about some externalized evil alien race but about the evil that men do to each other yeah and uh then he wanted to make it about culture and the clash of cultures rather than about uh strange aliens although of course there are still strange aliens in the darkness between beneath the stars they're then they're not they're, they're not more, alien intelligence they're more mystical aren't they yeah. it's not like you've got the klingons coming around the corner no knobbly headed aliens. no knobbly headed <laughs> aliens which is a well, a, a very good thing, as far as I'm concerned, in this, certainly in Coriolis. Well, anyway. it's definitely one of the things that I love about Coriolis. And what I thought was particularly interesting was how 
his de design philosophies are still apparent in the game that we're playing a generation removed from that. Absolutely. So we've now heard the first half of the Coriolis story. Let's see what Freel Egan have to say uh, about the second half. Hi, and here we are in uh, Samar's Hammam, but today it's not the players in the Hammam, it's the publishers in the Hammam. We've got Freely Freel Egan here with us in Stockholm. Thank you very much, guys, for finding the time to be with us. Uh, we've got Nils Carlien. Hi, Nils here. Uh, we have Costa Costulis. Hi. And Ricard Antroya. Hi. And it's a delight. We are absolutely delighted to be here with you today, guys. Um, so pleased that you could find the time to, to, to talk to us. We've got quite a lot of stuff we want to talk about. Ooh, yeah. um, <clears throat> but um, before, before we kick off into that, Matt, did you have anything you wanted to... Well, anything Throw apart any from the stuff we welcome? said we wanted to talk about? Well, <laughs> <laughs> any, any, other, any other points of welcome? Well, I, My young Padawan? First of all, I want to say thank you very much for the beer, which isn't that normally served too. in the man, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a special case. Uh, and also, thank you very much for the wonderful gift you, mm. you've given us of... Um, Absolutely. Of, uh, Swedish editions of Practicing Swedish, yeah. And, and, and really early, early material as well, that uh, your wife, Jenny, is now charged with translating... <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know how that goes. Guys. <laughs> yes, we're going to see a bootleg version. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, let's let's actually kick off. Really wanted to get an idea about where you came from because uh, read a little bit about you guys getting excited by the game, uh, starting to effectively be fan publishers and then freelancers. So we'd like to hear that from from your own words. Yeah, but, sure. but also also. Your own sort of personal RPG history, history, how you got into it in the first place. Yeah, should we do like a short personal history and then we can that sounds great. Yeah, general? Yeah. Yeah. Short. Uh, shortly for me, then, Nils, <laughs> for you, Nils. Um, I actually, my, my father brought home the first edition of Doc and the Mourner, which is like the Swedish Dungeons and Dragons, mm -hmm. um, in uh, 1982. It was, the, it was a long time ago. I was just five years old by then. Uh, and uh, we didn't understand what it was. We tried to play it, and uh, you know, it di didn't click. But like five years later, after my brother played a Swedish game called Mutant, uh, me and my friends started gaming uh, with that. We didn't really understand it either. I was like <laughs> ten years old then. <laughs> but it, like that's when like the lifelong love affair started for me. Uh, so since then, uh, it's been like a major part of my life, and it's been Swedish games. Uh, it's been uh, Call of Cthulhu, it's been uh, GDW games like Traveller and uh, 2380. Um, 2300. Yeah, it's one of my old favorites. <laughs> yeah. um, so a long list of games since like 1987 or something like that. So um, yeah. And it's never gone out of style. I mean, it's never, I never ever had a break from it. No, likewise. Did you not? Because no. I thought your introduction to the English edition of Coriolis says. It's what it's that guy. Oh, it's Costa. Sorry, I never took a break. Get your research <laughs> right. <laughs> now. Come on, you're sat here with these guys. Get it right. <laughs> Sorry. So, so Costa, uh, yes, tell yeah, us about. I had break. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I see that. <laughs> I started playing RPGs with my classmates in seventh grade, I think, mm -hmm. and I also played Rock and the Morning and Mutant. And uh, continued playing until I was like 23 years old and went to uni. And then I started drinking beers instead and doing other stuff. 
You actually role-played that you were a cool kid going to clubs, right? Yeah, we, we <laughs> made our own RPG <laughs> called Paul and Dion's, where we were cool dudes going to clubs. How old were you when we were doing 16. that? 16. 16. So... That's a, a few years too old to do that one. Okay. Yeah. Well, sometimes okay, you role-play characters that are very... <laughs> you play characters that are very like you yeah. sometimes, yeah, yeah, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, but cooler. They're <laughs> <laughs> always cool. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, I stopped playing in uni, and then I, I started lurking at the when the Mutant was re-released in 2002, 2005. Yeah, like and then when the Jan makes Simbrown now, uh, released Coriolis in 2008, I sort of thought maybe I should start playing again. Yeah. First I played Mutant. I actually played Mutant with uh, Thomas without knowing him as... Well, yeah. Free League didn't exist <laughs> at that time. And then I started, I, uh, I called you guys on the yeah, internet well, forum. Let's get to that, because it's a fun story. So, yeah, how did you meet? Uh, Costa had to do an audition. Yeah. <laughs> but let's do, uh, what, to be your friend? Yeah, no, no, <laughs> to, to join our group. It was to like join. a real audition. Okay, yeah. yeah. So we had to meet in a, in in a, a cafe, yeah. Yeah, with a, we all had to carry the Coriolis rule book, so we would recognize each other. <laughs> <laughs> we met on the Coriolis forum. And I had to, like to 10 years ago. tell them that I was a serious dude and I didn't, you know, murdering hobo only. No. <laughs> and it was like, how do you feel about uh, minimaxing? What do you yeah. feel about, uh, you like yeah. science fiction, really? Yeah. <laughs> and you mean you didn't come in at first? No. no. I was you were like the second... Uh, yeah. Second last. There were other better people. I was a bit late. It was a prison guard that had your spot. Yeah. Prison guard. He just. In real life, prison. So when the prison, yeah, yeah, in real life. So when the prison guy disappeared, there was a space. Yeah. And that's actually the start of free league. In a way. Yeah. Because we met at a pub, and I, when I started reading Coriolis, I started freelancing for Jan Ringen, and I wrote an adventure called. The Guardians of Mahani, which is set on Lubao. And then I said to Niels, we should write some stuff. So we sort of sold them a PDF project yeah. to, to write 12 modules, short PDF modules about the setting, more monsters. To expand again. Yeah. 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 And that's how we got into That's how Fria Liga was born. Yeah, really. Wow. Yeah. But now, uh, it it look, look, I've seen your, yeah. your gaming history. Okay, well, uh, <clears throat> um, I have a similar past, I think. I'm a, I was the annoying little brother who joined my big brother in Drakkar Dämonen, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, the Swedish version there. Um, and the, like the early edition of Mutant as well. Um, but then I got my hands on the um, Swedish version of Star Wars. Yeah. And dove was that the D6 version? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Western, Western Games. games. Yeah. Exactly. It was just translated uh, effectively. And I just dove into that with um, everything, essentially, and started GMing it and playing it. And we, we played it for quite a few years, along with the Black Box of Mutant 2019. Yeah. The Cyberpunk one. Yeah, exactly. Uh. The Cyberpunk. That's like you wanted to do the dread thing, you wanted to do all the cybernetics, all of that stuff. So we played that for like all through the teenage years, and it wasn't until after that I think we started exploring more uh, uh, other our own games, things like that. I, I actually grew up in a city where um, another 
the Swedish RPG maker kind of grew up. So I, I so hard, or no? no, in Skövde. I spent time with uh, a guy called uh, Kribla. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we played all of his games. Yeah. So that's like I had a long period of playing playing homemade games for quite a while, and then uh, dove into Cthulhu and some other things mm-hmm. uh, gradually. Um, then I had a break when I started work. When I started actually getting real work done. I had a break from RPGs. Could you, you had money to buy beers. <coughs> no, it wasn't the beer <laughs> thing. I didn't. I didn't do role playing myself at pubs, anything like that. Not, no. Well, was that the computer games industry? Weird stuff. Yeah, I ended up there, but yeah. that's yeah, exactly. That wasn't the job you were doing when you gave, first came. Uh, no, I, I started in advertisement, and then I did that for six years, and then I switched over to computer games, and then computer games tends to take up most of your time, so you don't play stuff. And then after a while, we started realizing that. There was this critical mass of nerds hanging around <laughs> in the computer games yeah, industry, yeah, yeah. and everyone actually were in the same same situation as me. That's like, it would be fun to start playing role playing games again. Yeah, I so like that phrase, critical mass of nerds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So then it all kind of uh, the past couple of years, like the past eight or ten years, maybe, uh, we we kind of got back into it again. That was super cool, and we, then we started sampling different games until I got a bit hooked on some free league stuff. And we, we noticed, I mean, uh, we noticed Rickard when his, his forum, Nick Calmanara, suddenly started popping up everywhere on the free league forum a yeah. couple of years ago. Like, noticing stuff we never even thought about. So we were like, oh, this guy is What's either a pain in the ass or yeah, yeah. pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I Have you decided which? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sure, no. I think it's like, if he joins, yeah. then... Yeah. <laughs> 70-30. Yeah. yeah, about a year ago, I, I, I was actually... I, it felt like I was kind of a pain in the ass. In a sense, right? I was like, I don't like this. I'm rewriting these rules. I'm, I'm adding this. I'm da 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 da. I just like started like just answering people on the forums uh, with my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then eventually, I think Thomas uh, approached me and said, like, uh, you know, that thing you do. Um, would you like to get paid for doing that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was like, okay. Yeah. And then I was, I, I thought I was gonna do a bunch of uh, Tales from the Loop stuff, actually. But then Costa uh, yeah. pinged me and said, uh, you're gonna write Coriolis and stuff. Cool. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a relatively new member to the team then. Yeah, freelance one, one in a quite a large crew of freelancers, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, we have a large crew of freelancers. But I mean, uh, Rickard is. We have like two. Uh, we have two really, really. Um, uh, what do you say? Profilient? Do you say? Uh, like, I know what you're saying. there, profilient. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. As in doing lots. Yeah. Profli- Full time. Profligate. No, uh, well. well. You've all got other edit. jobs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, edit. <laughs> no, no, we're not editing anything. This is just going out as easy. But, but, but you're, you're designing games for your day job. Yeah. Yeah. And this is just a bit of extra pocket money yeah. Yeah. out of your interest. Yeah. You're a doctor for your, for yeah. your day job. Yeah. Uh, I'm you? actually working with Free League as uh, my main job. So you're cool. full time. Yeah, I'm, I'm full time. Or yeah. 60%. Yeah. Because the rest of the time you're. That's a definition. That's a definition. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh, Ricker, along with another guy called Neil Sinsei, is like two main freelancers. Um, yeah. th- doing a lot of work. Um, so Neil Sims is the guy who wrote Tales from Loop. Yeah. And I was the annoying bastard who started changing rules. Yeah. 
four things. Yeah. It does. So it's like, oh. if it's going to be annoying, it can be annoying on our part. <laughs> yeah. Do they stay changed? Are they amazed? Yeah, I'm quite happy with the changes. Yeah. 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 It went through all okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and, and just before we started recording, we were talking about uh, you, uh, Nils, agreeing with David about whether children should be dying in jails. <laughs> was that one of the rule changes you made, Ricardo? No, I haven't touched that. But no. I was actually supporting the not dying part Yeah, in, yeah. in uh, some heated but debates think, on the yeah. forums. I think actually I was wrong in that. So I, 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 I switched my foot there because I, I think... Um, my initial reaction was like I don't I didn't like it because it felt like someone is intruding on my kind of arsenal of threats for the players. Yeah. But like in hindsight, I think it's actually pretty great because when you look at all the, the source material, like you know Goonies or Stranger Things or whatever, I mean it's they don't die. They don't no. die, uh, and it, they shouldn't. I mean it shouldn't be a, a game about violence at all. We did have a discussion earlier on about Stranger Things in, in the first series where Barbara does die. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. But then Matt made a good point that, well, she's probably the 15, 16, 17 year old. Yeah. yeah. Not the 12 year old. No, so no, it's, yeah. it's kind of acceptable. Yeah. People actually die in Tiffin Loop as well. We have in the yeah. amateurs, people, there's corpses and there's some pretty dark stuff, but the, yeah. the, 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 but the, kids. the pieces don't die. Yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that's the difference. But So Barb can die. She wasn't the core character. I mean, no. But, uh, so it's okay to die if you're not important. Yes, exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. If you die for the story, <laughs> yeah. if you die for the story, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's okay. Okay. Yeah. Dying in narratively creative ways. Yeah, totally yeah, fine. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, you guys are really busy. I have watched Stranger Things too. Yeah, I haven't. David hasn't. Yeah. So I have don't won. tell him. No, no I'm only two or three episodes. So one yeah. episode left. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh, really? Yeah. So close. Don't talk about that. <laughs> oh, but that last episode. Oh yeah. uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Shush. <laughs> so, um, sorry, I've stalled. Where do we go from here? We, we think, did have yeah, a plan. Well, for us, it's, again, you, you've talked about it a bit already about how freely got to sort of, of where you are. But I'd be really interested in. You're talking about earlier about the, you know, the first iteration of Coriolis, the work that you did there. How did it go from there to, yeah, the point where you are today? Actually, Cor- Coriolis is a, is an interesting uh, thing, issue actually because it's like the the one project that's been uh, constant since the start of Free League until today. It's mm, the only yeah. thing that's been constant, and it's been like the backbone of the Free League and also uh, a big problem for the Free League. It's been like a haunted project, you yeah. can say. Uh, so. The problem, and actually the good thing, is we, we inherited this game. Yeah. We didn't create the setting. It was Jan Ringen, the original Jan Ringen, yeah. uh, created this game. And we were fans of it. So, I mean, we yeah. were initially fanboys. Yeah, we, we, freelancers. Yeah, we were freelancers. Yeah. And they kind of ran out of steam. They couldn't really, they, they got tired of it. So they asked us, do you, what, do you guys want to take over the game? Uh, and we took, took over the game. And then, like a short time after that, they said, we're going to close the shop. We're going to close down our company. You guys wanna take over our other game as well? Do you guys you know, wanna continue? That's when we started the company. Yeah. yeah. So they actually phoned us. We have these two games. You can you can have them for free. Yeah. What was the other game? Svavel Winter, which is a Swedish game. Um, classic. It's like the Swedish equivalent of um, power, what's it called? The Enemy Within for uh, Warmer. Ah uh, yeah. Fancy. Ah yeah. 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 It's like a, it's, it's like one of the it's the most classic Swedish <laughs> fantasy campaign from the eighties. Right. That we did a, a role playing game about this whole world. Mm. Uh, we the the author of that world is actually the main setting writer for Forbidden Lands as well. Uh, yeah. It's really interesting because seeing the Forbidden Lands stuff that you've been putting out through the Kickstarter, um, yeah. 
it really reminded me of old Warhammer role playing mm. back in the, the enemy day. within. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. funny because I think actually that's one of the. I, I agree in some parts, but Eric wrote, just the feel. As yeah, as but yeah, Eric was, hasn't actually read Warhammer. We we yeah. we have so oh, we yeah. have we are written stuff yeah. as well, but he hasn't. So. Yeah. But uh, I agree that some of that. I mean, I think it's the old school feel, maybe probably. Possibly, yeah. yeah. But I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, yeah. I've got I like. I mean, I love it, Warhammer. So. Yeah, I've got a lot of really good memories of playing Warhammer. Well, in the eighties, I guess yeah. it would have been late eighties. Yeah. And then it just died off, and we never did it again. Mm -hmm. So seeing Forbidden Lands coming through with a very, very similar feel for me, it's just brilliant. I think a key thing was that. We were there for the first iteration of Warhammer, which was more role playing yeah. in its in itself. Yes. The very first edition yeah. is role playing with a bit of miniatures, yeah. or it's miniatures role playing. But the second mm. was playing nice as well, wasn't it? And then it moved into yeah. war game and a separate yeah. Yeah, yeah, role playing game, totally which again we enjoyed. Uh, who was running that? Was that? Andy was, I think. Uh, Andy, yeah, yeah. Andy our mate Andy. Yeah. And funny enough, uh, our mate Andy, we, we we've sold him. Uh, forbidden Lands. He's going to run it for us. Because he <laughs> yeah. said, oh, I'm thinking about buying some old um, Warhammer that I've seen on eBay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, Get Forbidden Lands. Well, that, that's war. good. <laughs> 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 yes. yeah. And uh, he, yeah. he was all for it. He's yeah, all yeah. over that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so we've got one sale for But did you play the third edition of, of Warhammer? No, 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 no. 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 We, we actually tried it. Yeah. We didn't like it. We, we, uh, we, were, we went for a while. We now. bought heavily into it. We bought a lot of stuff. Yeah. And we tried to. We played it. And it has lots of good ideas, but it was too messy. Right. It was like, yeah, like cars for everything. And it was like, it was a messy design, but good in a way. Mm. It was an expensive set. Yeah. 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 So coming back to Free League, so yes. how how easy did you find that transition going from fanboys, freelancers to so actual so professional So two, two groups of freelancers. So Thomas was actually writing... Svalunter separately right. from us. Yeah, we didn't know that. We didn't no, know yeah. and we had met. Uh, I had played yeah. RPGs with him in a group, uh, and we had also met in nerd pubs in a nerd project on the Mutant Forum, yeah. which I led for. When they sort of said we're going to stop doing Mutant, we started. I started a project which never finished <laughs> <laughs> about uh, forum producing their last. Uh, product which they hadn't given out right and that's and thomas wrote a lot of rules for that because he had an, an own version of mutant which was actually the beginning of mutant year zero in a way yeah right mm. uh, so we met when they said you're doing really good stuff for coriolis we had this other good writer who's doing Svar winter you should merge with him and become and you know take over our alliance yeah so that was Thomas. Yeah. Thomas is, yeah, was yeah. the guy who wrote writing for Swalwinter. And then we had Christian, which is the fourth member, yeah. uh, which was like his layout guy. Yeah. And we were, he we was were working as well with the project. Still, and still is. Still is. Yeah. Yeah. He's, He's still, still in the cave. Away. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. Is that the bad job? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were a bunch of fans, or freelancers initially, who had a thing called Freely Gam, which had no... Yeah, it was, it was like a collective of creative. I mean, it, it wasn't a company. It was just we we, had, we, we had to call us something. Yeah. Yeah. What are yeah. gonna call us? It's like, well, uh, uh, free league and it's a faction in the game. Let's call yeah. that. Because um, yeah. Yeah. the Iron Ring was a faction in Mutant. Right. They yeah. call themselves the Iron Ring. Just sort of the Iron Ring. Yeah. 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 The logo of the free league is like it's supposed to be. It's like a ring and it's a lily. Yeah. Uh, the flower lily and it's it's actually after a guy called Matthias Lilja, which is a lily in Swedish, yeah. who was the main writer of Coriolis. So the logo is 
done after him. Come on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, nice. Yeah. Nice. And the first, nice. the first adventure we wrote, which is called the Dark Flower. No, what is it called? The Dark. The Dark, dark Petals of the Light Flower. Yeah, yeah. The Light Flower is a lily. Very pretentious. None of us thought that until you said it. You like, <laughs> thought art's oh, really cool. Yeah. I know you're right. It is pretentious. <laughs> that was actually in this idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was mine. Uh, so, so then you incorporated as a company. Then with, with Thomas. Yeah, but actually, I don't think we answered your question. Was it hard to transition from yeah. being a fanboys to a company? Uh, yes, it was hard. It was, it was, we worked like four years uh, totally beside our day jobs um, mm. and working nights and like weekends and each doing it like as a side project. It was yeah. cool yeah. fun. In the another, beginning, it was another full time job kind of thing. Yeah, well, well yeah. It, it became more and more and more. Uh, in the beginning, it was, I mean, it's been yeah, yeah. super fun as well. But uh, I mean, the, the bigger it got, the um, I mean, it's it's also kind of a pain of uh, running a business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, when you transition from like being only being fun yeah. to being yeah. something that people actually pay money for and doing the tax returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Takes you further away from yeah. the creative. Yeah. 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 So that's yeah. been it's actually been a, I would say it's one of the biggest issues we've had to tackle. But I mean, the, all the companies, I mean, every company has to deal with. Yeah, but it's it's interesting when it like kind of merges into your we say creative space when you I mean for us I think grow up in games is like the most fun we know yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then suddenly it's work as well but yeah. it's yeah so we don't play as much no, no I was going to say <laughs> do, you, do you still get time to play that's the problem that's the problem yeah. we, we it's, don't. it's I mean literally all the time we have over it goes yeah. to running the company and writing games yeah. and also playing playtesting yeah course. but it's not as much. Not as much playtesting as we'd like. Well, what an interesting story to listen to from the brains behind the game, from its very inception right up to the current day, and with some potential, you know, snippets, you know, looks to the future a little bit as well. Uh, absolutely, you know, brilliant to have the opportunity to sit down with all of these people and just hear that story from end to end, which is something that I hadn't really, hadn't really grasped before. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear, you know, as as English speakers, we, we came in late to the Coriolis story. We did. And it's uh, really interesting to hear uh, the genesis of Coriolis. <laughs> um, even in that voice. <laughs> even yeah. in that voice. Matt, that's Matt's a, a good voice. That's Matt's a had a bit of a cough voice. this whole trip, so uh, you just uh, uh, that's, the, that's the problem. Yeah, it's my husky sexy voice. <laughs> um, oh, no. uh, we might edit that bit out. <laughs> we've got... <laughs> we will not edit my husky sexy voice out. <laughs> Um, we've oh, got yeah. loads more stuff though and we so have. over the next few episodes uh, there's going to be all sorts of stuff first of all Dave um, we think we might do a, a, a Simba Room special next yeah. time as, as I said earlier yeah, we're going to do a Simba Room special which will focus on Simba Room and the parts of the interview we had with Matthias and Martin that focused on, on that game and where that came from and where that might be going so that'll be next hopefully but, uh, in, the next, in the next week or so we'll get that out with a bit of luck but beyond that, we will uh, the next few episodes will focus um, on the, uh, the the content of the interviews. But what we will try and do is pull out the the key things, and then Matthew and I will, having pondered on on what what it all really means, we'll we'll offer our own further comment and and suggestions, and maybe even spin off some ideas that we can throw into uh, you know talents of the week or um, 
uh, other thoughts on setting or rules. Yeah, we're really looking forward to this. So it was so much inspiration from hearing these guys talk. Yeah. And um, but, I, I feel a little bit smug that we've only given you a tiny bit of it in this episode. <laughs> and there's plenty more to come over the next three or four episodes, I imagine. Yes, there's loads more. And again, one final thank you to all the guys for sparing the time and being so generous with their time and generous uh, you know, with hosting us. It's been a delight. And I'm looking out of the windows now and seeing the sun setting over Stockholm and the lights coming on. And I think, Dave, we should take one last walk through the old town of Gamlestan up to the station and get the train to our flight home. I think we should as well. And so we'll be saying goodbye to you from both Dave and I. And may the icons bless our flight home. been listening to The Coriolis Effect, presented by Fiction Suit with the RPG Gods, with music by Stars on a Black Sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing. Imagery from NASA and the Hubble Space Telescope, brought to you by Wikimedia Commons. Typeface is code by Fontfabric. <laughs>